This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, this time considering the experience of viewing TV shows and other media that maybe you're not the target audience for, or at least aren't demographically represented by, with a particular focus this time on the phenomena of race. This is Mark Linsenmeyer feeling, as they say, dynamite. This is Erica Spires, and I'm doing my best to represent the feminine demographic in a masculine-dominated medium. And I'm Brian Hurt, a Jew who has never seen an episode of The Goldbergs. So what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) This is Rodney Ramsey using my black voice. (laughs) Hey, Rodney, thanks for coming on. Do you want to... We got in touch with you because for the Partial Examined Life, we're going to do something on social construction of race. And you on Twitter had just said, you are going to have a person of color on with you, right? Yes. (laughs) So I knew that you were someone that was interested in... If you're discussing things like this, you should do some representing. Then I looked you up and saw you're a stand-up comedian. Tell us a little about the stuff you do in the entertainment world. I am a uh, stand-up comedian, like uh, you mentioned. I'm also an actor, a writer, and a producer. Pretty much anything I can get my hands on, I'm going to do. I'm kind of a uh, performance whore. From the entertainment capital of the world, Quebec, is that right? <laughs> yeah, Montreal, <laughs> Quebec, yeah. It's Canada's Hollywood. <laughs> Isn't that where they film all the things that are supposed to be in New York or other cities because it's just cheaper? Vancouver as well. Yeah, Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto is uh, is New York, yeah. So yes, this topic was my fault. This was uh, something that I, one of the ideas that I had early on before we even started the podcast, and it actually was inspired by something that happened on one of Danny LaBelle's Modern Day Philosophers episodes. Bob Goldthwaite was on there talking about watching Broad City and how he felt like the creepy old man spying on the young lady's comedy. And I just thought that captured a lot of, I don't know, I could have called this whole podcast not the target audience because with so much of the pop culture products, I feel like this is certainly not aimed at me. I'm not convinced it's actually aimed at anyone. Maybe having a series in particular looking at how targeting versus the experience of watching something or watching something that you know specifically was not written to be targeted at you, that, you know, doing that over sex lines, over age lines, over geography lines, over race lines, all that stuff seems like it'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. Any sort of opening thoughts? I know, Brian, you thought this was kind of a gross, (laughs) gross topic. Well, I'm just going to say that as a plain looking person, I feel like all the beautiful people on television and the movies really, I I don't relate to any of it. So (laughs) seriously, I, I don't even know what entertainment is for at this point. How unrepresentational. (laughs) I'm interested to see where the conversation goes today. And I'm really, really, really happy that Rodney is here with us. We've tried a number of different times and not to discuss this in particular, but we've discussed things adjacent to race and we don't really know what we're talking about. So thank you for coming on and being a new voice, a more representative voice for sure. Yeah. So what do you, Rodney, what do you think about this whole topic? I think it's awesome. I mean, I kind of have a first hand perspective because, you know, I've kind of done some TV and, uh, and film. I am a black guy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, personally, you know, being on set and, you know, reading some of the articles you sent over kind of pulled on the heartstrings a bit. You know what I mean? Having that experience firsthand. So, uh, I might get emotional. So I'm warning you guys from now. Might get a little I think passionate. That's <laughs> totally fine. Is there anything in particular that stood out to you that you've had experience with recently on set? I was looking at the whole black voice article. Yeah. That killed me. It's called What Does It Mean to Sound Black from the Atlantic by Hannah Georges. There's been a couple times actually recently where I've been on set and I've had a white French director 
literally tell me that I need to be more black and me kind of sitting there like, what does that even mean? I don't know how to do that. Right. <laughs> Being mm-hmm. on set for like hours trying to figure out what this guy's concept of what a black person sounds like is so I can meet that idea. So I don't get fired. You know, <laughs> do you ask him or do you just try? How could I add? There's no way he could possibly explain that to me. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing I didn't want. Didn't want to see him doing that. What was the character that you were doing that wasn't it, lacking? You know what? It, I can't even call it a character. It was a commercial, man. It was, <laughs> oh. it was just me oh, in a car. God. You know, <laughs> like I should have just been able to be a human. You wanted that attitude, right? So that's totally an issue of, since commercials are all about what market you're trying to garner there, is that the thing that if you're targeting stuff specifically toward a black audience, that it's not just that there's representation in it, it's that that it has to be black enough to sort of capture that market. Is that the thought? Or is that just some... You know what? I, I don't. I don't even think so, man. It was. It was like a car commercial. Like these guys, they were selling to everyone. No one just sells cars to black people. That'd be weird, right? It's kind of like a. You know, it was a national thing. Like I was just in his head. You know, I mean, I guess he just wanted somebody with a certain amount of attitude who spoke a certain way. You know, they wanted some black representation, and I wasn't representing blackness enough, apparently. Right. Well, ads are supposed to be aspirational, so he was trying to make you into whatever it was that viewers were going to be aspiring to for buying a car. But, you know, I don't know. Don't excuse him. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, but I will say that my background is in linguistics. And often things, I think, need to be acknowledged that they exist even if we don't want them to. So this idea of sounding black or not, like there are like people who get like really outraged if you say, well, did the person sound black? And they'll say, well, I don't think a black person sounds any different. It's like, come on. I mean, there is really is a black American accent that has been studied by scholars of different races. And it's nonsense to say that this is a phenomenon that doesn't exist at all. I mean, and whether it should be something that comes up in a court of law when like someone is asked that on the, the witness stand, like that starts to become like creepy and wrong. But at the same time to say that it doesn't exist at all. But what is it? Because it's so different. Well, and it's an interesting thing because, yes, there is a predominant American black accent that is true, but I'm in Canada. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't know if I sound black to you guys, you know what I mean? But I mean, I know a lot of black people out here who don't sound American black. I'm more concerned that you haven't said A at the end of any of your, <laughs> your sentences. I don't know that you're really Canadian. <laughs> I got that out of my voice a long, long time ago. I would actually include a link to a really good Lexicon Valley episode about the black American accent rather than going into it. But it's really interesting. And it's like a lot of things, people who think they know what it is, actually, they're pretty wrong on the specifics. And they say, oh, it's like a Southern accent. It's like, no, it's not that at all. But it's got this rounding of vowels and it's got some other things going on. And you're right. It's to say American Canada has a lot of similarities and a lot of differences from the American accent. So it doesn't surprise me. I noticed that when Idris Elba was on the office, it was really so interesting because I didn't really know who he was, but I knew immediately he wasn't an American because he was doing a really good American accent. It just didn't have any inflection of what you would expect from someone who wasn't mimicking an American accent like really perfectly. It was too good. It was clearly a Brit. They do our accent better than we do. Sometimes these extra R's creep in to the, to the British American accents. 
I think they kind of hit them too hard sometimes is that they growl them yes, out exactly. to overcompensate. Oh yeah, for sure. I have a Brit friend who makes fun of me a lot for my R's and I'm like, they're not that harsh and he's, but he hears them so much stronger than he would in anybody else. Boy, that was a rabbit hole <laughs> tangent I went down. Sorry about that. What about this whole idea of creators aiming things towards specific audiences? Like with the increased connectivity and the fact that everything is accessible to everybody and the emphasis on representation, it seems like the dominant paradigm now is for that to go away, that everything is aimed at everybody, that you want to have enough representation of all demographic groups so that nobody feels excluded, so there's not a specifically just, we want to have the maximum possible audience, the maximum possible money out of everything, which should mean that if there are still things specifically pointed at specific demographic groups, that that's a smaller budget or you know the minority of creative output. There's an article here from 1998, A Racial Divide Widens on Network TV from the New York Times, which was talking about a president of 20th Century Fox Television says, I don't think anybody's crying out for integrated shows. So it was a specific divide rather than what seems to be happening now, which is more of trying to do it across genres that you're trying to say? Across demographics, yes. That's something I see for sure now. We did used to have like, you know, at the time when there was like Martin, right? We also had completely white shows like Roseanne. Or we had Friends and they had a couple of black characters, but it was pretty much just a white show. And then we have like Living Single. So I think it's interesting and exciting now. I actually have a really good time listening to stories that are not stories that are supposed to be about me, white, middle, you know, American. I've become, you know, a big fan of Insecure. And partially it's because, yes, it does relate to me in certain ways, but in other ways, it's a completely different thing. And I think that's so much more interesting to watch now. I've become a binger of television shows it's exciting to watch something that was not necessarily maybe intended for my demographic. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, people out there are watching television because they want to just see people that are like them. You know, I thought that we kind of took in this kind of entertainment because we wanted to, you know, be taken to other places and like, you know, live life through the eyes of people who aren't like us. Kind of a thing, right? right? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just Literature, don't see yes. <laughs> why you're going to specifically watch something because it totally suits your demographic. I mean, like, I wasn't into Friends because, not because it was a bunch of white folks. I mean, it's because I didn't think Friends was funny. I watched Seinfeld religiously. I can tell you lines from that show until the cows come home, right? But, I, and it has nothing to do with race. Yeah. I'm with you, Rodney. I feel like, like Atlanta is really funny and so enjoyable. And dear white people just doesn't do it for me. I find it really, just irritating and clumsy and smug. Shows like that bother me because I find that it's like a quote unquote black show, which a term that I hate already, a black show written specifically for white people. That kind of offends me. <laughs> I, I think it's like dumbing it down for white folks and y'all don't need that. You know what I mean? But I was a little worried that Atlanta was that too in a bit because it does have this Princeton educated, super smart guy. And it has these white characters that it pokes fun at in a way that I feel like is also intended to connect us, white people, to this show that otherwise is is largely black. I don't know. It's like a lot of things. If it's not entertaining me, I'm just not going to spend my time watching it. Life's too short, and I have too much to watch. <laughs> Even at one and a half speed, life's too short. <laughs> yeah, I wonder about the whole issue of 
we were talking about this in our Friends episode of, do you enjoy something because you identify with the characters? Well, you know, if it's going to be literature at all, you have to have some way of identifying with them. But hopefully, even if it's historical fiction, it's showing you people from hundreds and hundreds of years ago in a very remote setting. It's because they're just well-written that they have human struggles that you can relate to. So I see a show like The Shy, which is very much, I think, following in the sort of David Simon show steps. In other words, The Wire and Treme, that these sort of slice of life, what's really going on in neighborhoods, many of which are poor, like these might be, it's what, 90% or more black cast, but it's presenting human dramas and things. So it's supposed to be, it's not like it's like Dear White People aimed at, it's showing the struggles of being black in the inner city, but I don't feel like it's aimed at any particular audience. It's more just a, this is a piece of literature. What is that on? Showtime. Yeah, I, I do the like pay for a month of that every year or two to, to catch up on. Well, and that's what one of these articles was talking about too, is moving beyond audience segmentation, what marketers can learn from post-demographic consumerism. And this is by Lauren McMenemy from Skyward.com. There's choice and freedom now give people the opportunity to construct their own identity out of traditions and stereotypes. It opens up so many possibilities for compelling creative content and a new approach to audience personas. And basically like what I got from this, I mean, we're probably going to honestly go back to some form of cable, right? In the near future, because now there are so many little packages that you can buy, but it's nice to live in a world. Whereas I, I feel like it's kind of the same idea has kind of crushed the music industry where we quit buying albums and we started buying singles. But now to be able to do that with a TV show and be like, I want to buy this entire season or I love this particular type of viewing, so I'm going to get Netflix and I'm going to get Amazon Prime or whatever. And to package those things together, you can see things that are not just specifically aimed at one demographic. You can pick and choose things and be cross-demographic. It's fantastic. For example, I've been binging iZombie. You know who else is? My father, who's 73 years old. I don't think he's the target audience for that, but he loves it, you know? I think that that has probably been more helpful than we realize in getting different types of shows to different types of people and making it super accessible. You're also starting to see a lot of, again, I don't want to use the term black shows. I hate, I hate that. Uh, you're seeing a lot more representation and a lot more, I guess, uh, African-American subject matter in a show that you would have thought would have been traditionally a quote-unquote white show, which I think is awesome and which is blowing people's brains up. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys watched the latest Watchmen episode. Yes, so mm-hmm. good. Right? Oh my God. Woo. Yeah, okay, yeah. And like, I didn't expect that. You know, that first scene set the tone of the whole episode, which will set the tone ultimately for the whole season. I didn't expect that. I don't know if you guys expected that. I was expecting, you know, an extension of the movie, a bunch of, you know, you know, white superhero S characters, you know, kicking some ass, right? And then they opened up with that and Regina King as the lead. And I'm like, wow, I'm in, right? Yeah, it upset a lot of people because, I mean, I've read a couple, I've read a few articles where, you know, there were some diehard fans and they were like, I didn't need this social justice warrior, you know, uh, you know, racial, uh, you know, kind of angle on it. Why does it have to be political? It's like, well, you know, first off. It always was, wasn't it? It was always political. (laughs) That was one of the reasons why people love the watch. You know, people are just angry because they don't want to have to think about this stuff, man. And I'm a, I'm huge on comments and I like reading the comments and there's huge arguments on like that scene. I'm not going to, whatever, spoil the scene, just in case anybody out there... Can we say that we're spoiling it and spoil it? Yeah, let's spoil away chumps. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly, can't remember what the time in history that it represented. I know it was a... 1921, I want to say, oh, or if the, not, the it was Black like Wall right Street, Black there. Wall Street, like, massacre. Yeah. I'm not sure what the exact... Mm-hmm. Tulsa, I think it was. I can't, that's right. Yes, yeah. yes. They didn't give all the context I think they could have, but I, I believe it started off with somebody who might have been falsely a, a black man uh, or kid might have been falsely accused of either touching or talking to a white woman, and they were essentially going to hang him and the you know residents of Black Wall Street weren't going to let it happen and there had already been a lot of tension because these were some very well-to-do black town and then they basically went in there and massacred everybody and I mean there was like planes bombing the town I mean I didn't even know this had had happened uh, I didn't either yeah crazy neither did the director he had read an article about this apparently like years before the filming and it affected him so much that when he had a chance to do the Watchmen he was like this is what it's going to be about. He's like, this is going in, you know, which I respect so much. So that's essentially the first scene. And, you know, the main character, uh, Regina King, she's connected to that through, I guess, her father. It sets the precedent and the tone for whatever's going down in the season. If this show ends up being as awesome as I hope, we're going to have to maybe revisit this. I am vibrating with excitement about this show. Mark, have you watched? I have it because it, you suck. it was not preparing directly for the thing we were recording on. It next, was. So. You just didn't realize that. I should have told you. Mark reminds me of like being in college where you only read and prepare <laughs> things that you have to, you have to do for your next assignment. <laughs> oh, just let Mark watch something for watching's sake. Mark is preparing for three podcasts, so he also gets a pass on this. True, I was trying true. to watch some of the Steve Harvey show, which apparently was the most famous thing, you know, when Friends and Seinfeld were among white audiences. Well, I, I saw a little on YouTube, but apparently, you know, as far as regular streaming, you actually do have to get the BET, you know, Amazon Prime extension. So it's still segmented, those older things. I also wanted to check out at least something by Tyler Perry. I just had to go to the library. Just and get don't, the, just the don't, don't, worry, don't bother. Just, just don't. <laughs> I, it's it's just weird because I don't know. I feel like, you know, whereas the whole Tyler Perry stuff, it's kind of like it feels like new age black exploitation to me, to be honest with you. You know, it's just not that well written. I mean, the acting is not great. The direction is not great. And then again, you have a show like, you know, The Watchmen that it's not a black show. Right. I hate that term so much. So can you unpack that a little bit? You know what? Okay. And again, like, I still don't understand it that much, which is why I don't use the term, but I think it has to do with, again, you know, you're dealing with, again, it's usually always, it's always a black American show, right? You never seen any black Canadian shows, right? It's usually, you know, pretty low budget. A lot of these shows, the production value, which is why I compare them a lot to the black exploitation stuff. I mean, the production value is not that great. You know, they're not as well written. The characters, you know, you're kind of watching this. And yeah, I mean, they're so culturally specific. It's like, yeah, of course, a white person, why would they want to watch this? It's almost a completely different language. You know what I mean? I'm a black Canadian and like, you know what I mean? It's an experience that's almost too far removed for me to get. And again, then you compare it to, again, like a show like, you know, the season of The Watchmen, you cannot call that a black show, but it's got so many black characters. They're so well written, you know, and I mean, it's got tons of black subject matter, but it has the budget. I mean, it's got an unlimited budget. The casting is amazing. So would you say that like what you're calling black shows that you don't like the term or you don't like? Yeah, it just bothers me because that make everything else white shows. You know what I mean? Is that what I've been watching? Am I watching white TV? That's part of what I wanted to ask you about. Like when you were growing up, did it feel like you know, with the lack of representation, say a little about what that experience was like. 
growing up, there was always something for me, you know? I mean, like, and when you're, when you're younger, you're not thinking black show, white show. Are you thinking, oh, uh-huh. that's the Cosby show? You're thinking, oh, Fresh Prince yeah. of Bel Air. You know what I mean? You, there was quote unquote black shows that everybody was watching when I was growing up, you know? And, and then there was always a really dope Eddie Murphy movie coming out. The stuff that I watch where there is a lot of black representation, I just can't call them black films or black TV shows. I mean, I used to wonder, you know, as I got older and I started getting into acting and I wondered, what is it about black entertainment that people kind of devalued? And I read this whole article that George Lucas, he wrote a movie and produced a movie, I think it was called Red Tails with like a bunch of black pilots. And he was saying that the reason why nobody makes black films is because they don't sell internationally. Right. They had that label that they didn't sell. And then all of a sudden, you know, that movie, uh, the NWA movie came out a few years ago and everybody, like everybody watched that globally, globally. It was the biggest movie of the year. And then, and then they started coming out. Moonlight comes out. Uh, Black Panther comes out. Hidden figures. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just think we need to redefine this. I think it's a perspective thing. I mean, yeah, you put out a really shitty, low budget movie with a bunch of black people in it. Yeah. Of course, nobody's going to want to watch that. Right. Except for a bunch of black folks who, who get the lingo and the language, but you make a well piece, a good piece of art. People are going to watch it regardless of the color of their skin. At least that's my opinion. Rodney, let me ask you a question and see if it resonates at all with you. Do you think there's anything to the intent of what the filmmaker or the TV show showrunner is trying to do sometimes that maybe make some of these things work or not work. What I'm getting at specifically is I, I find sometimes that when I suspect that what they're trying to do is educate me or enlighten me or make you woke. like w- whatever it is. <laughs> and if that's their first goal, rather than trying to make me laugh if it's a comedy or trying to make me feel something, if it's a drama, then I can sniff it out. And if I feel like Spielberg is trying to like make the Jewish experience in Schindler's List rather than, I don't know, the showrunner, so I apologize, but in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, just like, yeah, make me laugh. I'm like, I'm going to get the Jewish experience in that, but like, I don't need to be edumacated about it. Like, can we just make making good shows like the first goal? And if that works, then the other stuff is going to come through. Do you see anything at all similarly with what you're calling black shows, whether it's maybe it was Red Tails with a white director, or maybe it was, that was kind of the problem I saw in part with Dear White People. It's like, clearly the goal was to be doing a thing rather than to entertain me. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's an execution kind of a thing. So you look at a thing like Dear White People, which is, it's obviously this black show tailored to educate white people, which I think is just so insulting already. Then you got, again, I'm going to go back to the Watchmen and that opening scene, which is, I don't know, it's kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? I don't think it was for white people specifically, but I mean, it was definitely there to educate people in a way, right? I mean, this director obviously knew that this is a thing in history that happened that was significant that a lot of people didn't know about. And you know what? It worked for the Watchmen and I enjoyed it. I mean, I can't sit through five minutes of Dear White People Getting educated in Watchmen was incidental because when I was watching it, I didn't know if that was something that had happened. And I found out afterward it was, while it was happening, I was just getting gut punched because it was done so brilliantly. And it was such a visceral, emotional, really well done opening scene that that's what it should have been, whether that event happened or not. I agree. I felt exactly the same way, Brian. I watched it thinking, you know, because they kind of do alternative histories in some of these. And I was like, oh, this must be an alternative history. And then when I found out it was real, I felt so shitty because, like, I grew up in Missouri, not three hours away from Tulsa. And we never learned about that. And we did learn about other terrible things that happened in Missouri with hate crimes. But that was something that never came up. And that was just 
dreadful. So I'm really interested to see where they end up going with the rest of this season. And I agree. Now I'm, I'm like educated because it was something interesting and heart wrenching that I wanted to look up and find out for myself. So if that's something that was sort of an organic creation, that's a successful storytelling, at least so far, what about Black Panther? That is similarly, you know, part of a comic property. What do we make of that whole thing? Is that a positive, you know, that we've got a, a world dominating movie with a black cast that deals in part with, you know, African American related issues, even though it's, you know, happening in, in Africa? Or is this pandering? Is it giving, you know, every minority will have their own corner of the Marvel universe that this sort of weird tokenism or, yeah, what's going on there? I think that it only becomes a black film or TV show. When that's the first thing that you focus on when you're writing it into production, right? It's like, okay, this is black cinema, right? We're going to make, these are black characters doing black things instead of like, again, like, uh, like Black Panther or Watchmen where it's okay. No, this is a story about these people going through these things who just happen to be black and in this fictional African country, right? Then it's real people you're watching and you're not just, you're not watching black people, right? It's just people doing things who, you know, kind of happen to be black, you know? And I guess that's the difference to me between black cinema and just cinema. The other thing I really loved about Black Panther is all the female, like the strong female characters who were also like really smart. And that was something that stood out to me because oftentimes in some of the other superhero movies, you might see one smart woman or something, but like it's not like they had so many smart, strong women as well in Black Panther. So there's the Wakanda centered scenes, which is what you're talking about. And then there's the relation to are some of the, is it in California, the American scenes? Yeah. Don't they depict the antagonist as having a basic, the world is unfair to black people in this area, and now I'm mad at everyone. Isn't that something of his motivation? Like the way it's stated, which is just an argument that they were trying to use, not just as an incidental thing, but as something that can be responded to in positive or negative ways. In other words, the experience of racism. And the antagonist was, you can understand where he's coming from. He was a more sympathetic antagonist than most, but the hero was responding to the same situation in a better way. Was there a question in there, Mark? I was just asking, is that, <laughs> it was it really incidental? People doing superhero things who happen to be black, or it seemed like it was cast as more intentionally dealing with issues of racism. I think that was one of the parts of the story, but I don't feel like that was the the main idea at all. Anybody else? Yeah, it just again, it just feels like it was a theme in the movie, you know, in the script. And again, to me, that's kind of what makes a really great, movie or a really great story. It's not just one theme, you know, it's not just a movie about racism. It was more than that, you know, it was almost a coming of age thing. It was, I mean, there was a lot going on there. There was a, felt a little bit of Shakespearean at times. I mean, Black Panther had a lot going on, but yeah, of course there was, race was definitely in there, but amongst other things, right? Which again, which is why I couldn't really consider it a black movie, a black film, you know, to me, it was just a really good Marvel movie. Now, what about just last night, finally saw Black Klansman. It's on HBO now. And I saw Sorry to Bother You in theaters. Those are both films that I would say the agenda is more of a, like a black story. All right. Or something that I can learn something from. Not that it's there to necessarily teach me a white person, but that's something I got out of it. But I also found both of those stories incredibly entertaining and well told. 
funny in their own ways, heartbreaking at times as well. So what about that kind of cinema? Is it still at the core of it that it's just good storytelling? Those definitely, I would say, deal more with black issues. I haven't seen Sorry to Bother You. I've been actually dying to watch that. And thank you for bringing it up. Now I'm going to watch that later. Yeah, Black Klansman. I mean, I loved it. That was a great film to me. Again, that was a historic film, right? That was actually something that happened, right? And then they just seemed to depict it so well. It was really well directed, really well acted, really well written. So I don't know. It's kind of hard. I mean, I enjoyed it. And I never I never at one point felt like, you know, these black people in this film were being exploited. It's hard for me to watch a lot of films on race like 12 Years a Slave and like, you know, because it felt like a a point where all the black films that were coming out were set (laughs) in a point where it was like slavery. I don't know if you guys remember, like there's a point in the 90s and like early 2000s. It just seems like there was just so much of that stuff coming out. I find that it's less now. You're seeing, again, more movies like Moonlight and like more films like Black Klansman come out. But yeah, I don't know. I think I thought Black Klansman was great. And it wasn't just, as far as I can recall, actually, there was only like a few black characters, right? I mean, yeah, it was centered around him, but I mean, there was mostly white characters, actually. So yeah, can you even call that a quote-unquote black film? You know what I mean? Well, Uh, it was about issues of racism, historical racism, which I often feel similarly to the way I feel about Holocaust-related films. If a new Holocaust-related film comes out, there better be something unique and entertaining to it, or else it's just the same historical lesson that I feel like I've already received through many, many other things. Jojo Rabbit. Still haven't seen that. Go yeah. see it. It's, it but it, it's a completely new lens, because I, I agree with you. I, I always feel badly that so often when we talk about Jewish people in film, it's a Holocaust movie. And so often, like, the actors I know who are black have to do either TV shows, movies, or plays that deal with race and racism and how annoying and frustrating and disheartening that must be as an actor to portray one part of what it is to be black. I have a question. I don't want to go too backwards in this discussion, but there was a scene in Watchmen where they were having a production of, it was an all- black cast of Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Are those things still done? I know we're in an alternate history yeah. with, okay. I just wasn't sure. Cause I remember that as like in college, which was some time ago already. I just didn't know if that was still something that happens. Yeah. I had a friend that did an all black Oklahoma last year in Colorado. I want to say that does happen. I mean, I think it's pretty great because historically there weren't oftentimes any black people or any people of any color except for white in those stories. So, yeah, it's, it's, that's happening. How is it tweaked? I don't know. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But then I had another friend do in Oklahoma in Dallas. No, Houston. In Houston. And he's Asian. So he, he was an Asian curly. And then I think everybody was either Hispanic or Asian or black. Like So, yeah, I guess the point is we have all these great singers and all this great talent. We don't get to do this show usually historically. So let's celebrate it. Let's see what we can find there. And I don't know how they exactly changed it. I'd have to ask. Yeah, if you just did it completely straight, like that's one kind of message. But if then you say, oh, this is the urban version of Oklahoma, whatever that means, there are cities in Oklahoma. There you go. So we'll change up the music and add hip hop beats or what? Like, I don't know. I could see some no, very this is cringy. Like done very straight. But like, yeah, they do do that, like the, the urban nutcracker and stuff. But yeah, I've seen that, that kind of thing as well. Urban. What a word. I know. Bez Lerman's Romeo and Juliet was urban. It was still. A couple of white people somehow. <laughs> and yeah, that's been the other thing, right? Is just this colorblind casting. And that even like in Shakespeare, right? And that was Kenneth Branagh's, was it Much Ado About Nothing? That I'm trying to think that I thought had a bunch of like people who couldn't have been related to each other 
And I think Louis C.K. did that also with his his wife and his TV show was black. And his kids are these super little blonde girls. He said he cast it just based on the energy of the people. And it just made sense that this was who he had to cast. So it's hard to know. That's possible biologically, though. Like, I could be married to a white person and have, like, super white kids, super blonde white kids. It's not normal, but yeah, yeah, it happens. It it could be. It it just pulls you out of the scene immediately, kind of wondering what's going on. Because (laughs) you wouldn't do that unless you either were trying to make a statement or you just didn't care. He likewise had like the person playing his agent be like this 18 year old guy. Like there's no way this would be his agent. And with the wife thing, they have a character eventually, I think like, you know, in the last season comment on it, like there's no way those kids came out of that woman. Like they make it a thing within the show instead of just something for viewers to comment on. But that's just idiosyncratic to that show. So one of the questions I had, I feel like we've kind of answered, but if anybody has anything else to say about it, it was um, what is it that crosses markets successfully? And this is something, actually, let's go deeper into this because we did kind of answer that. Do white people like stories? Stop the, stop the question. There you go. You can- no, that, like, <laughs> that are black stories, or do they like stories that feature black characters through a white lens? What I'm getting at for this is last year we have Black Klansmen, right? But then we also had Green Book, and Green Book took home best picture, right? And was criticized, yeah. I saw Green Book and liked it, and then I started reading all of the things about it that are, you know, true, not true, and and then I started thinking more about it, and I was like, when I watched Green Book, I didn't necessarily feel like it was saying that, oh, aren't white people so funny in their racism? (laughs) Although that was definitely part of the film. I was like, oh yeah, because I've like I know a lot of growing up where I did, I know and just anywhere in the US, honestly, you know a lot of people who are raised a certain way and then they, you know, they figure something out. But then it did have that white savior complex to it as well. What do we think? Do white people like stories about white saviors or is is that our introduction into black film? I think that everybody I, I guess at a subconscious level, people would prefer to see themselves represented like people want to be able to empathize and relate and i guess it's easier if the person on the screen you know kind of looks like you like i was reading a book the other day and i realized like you know 10 pages when there's 10 pages left that the character none of the characters were described you put you know my own races and whatever way, way these characters looked in my own head onto them you know and I kind of think that for good film, I think good film challenges people and good television challenges people. And I think that the people who are kind of ignorant and only want to see themselves represented are always going to be those people who are going to always go to those kind of films and, and television. And the people who want good art are not going to care, you know, and those are going to be the people who continue to watch uh, The Watchmen because it's a good film and they don't mind being challenged. And And if that bothers them, they'll go watch something else, right? I don't like us when we're generalizing. I mean, there's, there's people who are ignorant and like hack stuff. And there are people who want to be challenged and like good art. And I think those people who like good art will watch anything regardless of what it is and who's in it and what the color of the skin of the people who wrote, directed and are acting in it. To build on that, Rodney, I think good art draws you in in a way where you can identify at a level deeper than what someone looks like, right? I feel like partly why I enjoy Atlanta is that I relate to Donald Glover's character. I mean, it has nothing to do with race in it. I feel like he's a smart guy among people making bad decisions. And 
like, I would like to feel like I'm that sometimes, whether I am or not, is kind of <laughs> beside the point. And just to, I wanted to comment, you were talking about the book you were reading. Are you guys familiar with the, the Black Hermione thing going around? It's, it's been a little while. But apparently, J.K. Rowling doesn't describe Hermione in the books beyond having brown eyes and frizzy hair. And people have just decided, well, in, in my mind, she's black. And that's and there's like a lot of like drawings out there and things. And, and she's all all for it as well, the uh, J.K. Rowling. And it's great, but it does, maybe it's because of the movies that I think of her as looking like. Well, there are pictures, yeah, there are images, the illustrations with the books, of course. I, yeah, Emma Watson, is that her name? I have images in my head of her, but it, maybe it's my own failing that I just imagined a little white Hermione running around when I first read the books. I think the play has a black Hermione. I, I didn't hear a lot of flack about it, but then again, it's Broadway and not a lot of people know about it. But yeah, I believe she was black in, in that do you tend to cast things that you read probably in your own light, people that you know? I tend to cast books with uh, film actors, usually. Who would I like to see, see play this in a film version? I think it's crazy when you see a character in a book get casted as another race and then people just lose their mind on the internet, which happens all the time. I remember with The Hunger Games, I can't remember what the, what the character's name was. It was a little girl. Is it Rue? Yeah, she became a, I don't like, again, I don't remember if how she was described in the books. I don't believe she was described as a white person. But yeah, man, when uh, she came out as a black person, she wasn't even that big of a character. And people lost their effing minds, man. And like, I don't know. And I think that plays into kind of like what we're talking about here. I mean, like, why is that a thing? Why do people get so mad? You know, I mean, it's just a character, right? This is, <laughs> I mean, uh, who cares? Uh, yep. Oh, yeah. This is all making me think of Black Jesus memes. Like, I love that idea. You know, when we had a partially examined life episode, I specifically asked our, our artist, draw Jesus is black or, you know, at least on the darker side of Middle Eastern, just because I love how that image tortures some people. <laughs> That's not perhaps the best motive. That's actually, a, okay, as black TV shows goes, if we're going to go there, okay, that's probably one of the only ones that I really enjoy. It's called Black Jesus, who's on the Cartoon Network. Have you guys mm-hmm. seen it? See that? Aaron Magruder <laughs> no. show? Oh my God, hilarious. Hilarious. Just really funny. That's great. So that's just to clarify, that's not referring to like the historical Jesus as being black, but as a guy that just, you know, it takes place in the hood. It has uh, Charlie... Murphy, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Charlie Murphy said it. Yeah, he's great. He's great in there. Yeah. Oh, so you have seen it. You have checked it out. I saw, yeah, most of the first season of that, I think. And just a guy among these low income folks who <laughs> dresses like Jesus and he goes around just asking people to call him Jesus and he has some followers. And I got to rewatch that. I mean, so for something like Atlanta, just in terms of the experience of, I was never really sure with Atlanta. I don't feel like that it is aimed at white audiences. I'll say that Atlanta is actually the only one of these that I found easier to turn the subtitles on for parts of it. <laughs> like when it's the <laughs> Brian is shaking his head. Shame. <laughs> and as actually, especially even with the music that they keep playing, it will say the name of the song. It'll say what's being said in the song. Like I wouldn't get that because there's a lot of fast rapping going on. But even just, you know, if, of course, if it's like an f- episode focused on the girlfriend and stuff, then everything is like watching Insecure or something. It's not hard to understand at all. But when it's the rappers uh, in particular, a lot of very fast, that's something that made me think, you know, that that was intended for a, I don't want to say predominantly black audience, but like it's certainly not adapting itself to be more understandable to white audiences. And given that, I wasn't sure how to take, you know, as you said, Brian, it's the show is about somebody who's kind of sensible reacting to the bad choices of the people going around him. It's like the show is giving you permission to laugh at that 
in a, a sort of regular show that is not have an all black cast, then you couldn't have a black character who was the clown. Like, because that is like a racist trope. But within this context, you could have characters that are just bizarre. You know, it's the same in Key and Peele that they also had. They're kind of making fun of things that they see in black culture. And that's not something that you could do, like, right? Only a black comic can do that. I wasn't sure what Atlanta, it was like it was giving permission to laugh at these people that would not have been available in another. I assume that if they're, I haven't really watched much of Atlanta, only a couple episodes, but if it's an all black cast, it's, it's allowing you to see these people as just people, right? There's not just a black character that you're, you know, supposed to either identify with or laugh at. There's the option of them just being seen as, as human. That's why I think Atlanta is amazing. But it's funny because you mentioned, um, Mark, you mentioned Insecure. And I think that those two shows, I mean, especially as comedies, I think they're probably the most important shows featuring like all black casts. I think that's come out within like the last like maybe decade. I think, I mean, you never, you weren't seeing shows like these before. Uh, like you mentioned, Erica, black people just being black people. <laughs> on television, you know what I mean? Like the fact that they were black is secondary to them being people. Cause I mean, I watched, you know, like, uh, Donald Glover. I mean, yeah, he, like, um, you know, the, the rapper that he hangs with was named Paperboy. Like, yeah, you know, he's got the swag. He's got that rapper swag. You know, he's got the black voice, but Donald Glover, he, if I was listening to the show, just audio, Donald Glover could be a black person, a white person. You know what I mean? He, race doesn't yeah. really matter for him, you know? Same with Insecure. The lead, I mean, they even make fun of her sometimes, of, you know, the, the kids in the classroom, you know? He's like, why do you talk? Why? Kind of a thing, you know? Yes. That kind of comes up. So, you know, you're having these these shows, and this would never happen before. This is so recent. You have these shows where these two main black characters aren't traditionally black. They don't have the swag. They don't talk, quote unquote, black. They're just people. And I think that's what draws these viewers in, right? And I mean, you're having a lot of white viewers, a lot of white people watch Atlanta, a lot of white people watch Insecure because they're not playing on like, what the what is it? It's, it's Tyler Perry. That's, that's his name. It's not a black show first. You know, it's just a show with black people. And I don't know that I think when you start doing that, then that's how you get it to, you know, cross demographics and, you know, cross these racial barriers and gets everybody in because then you're getting to see black culture without blackness being thrown in your face every 10 seconds, you know? Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy. The episode in Atlanta that I was thinking of in particular was the one where he's been arrested. And so he's hanging around in sort of the prison waiting room and the police station waiting room and the weird dynamics that are going on there. There's uh, some very homophobic stuff. There's some, you know, just people acting crazy. Everybody is pretty inhospitable to everybody else. And this is, I feel like, a comment on you know, it's not pure comedy. It's something that is observational humor commenting on a particular subculture, a situation that I think either one of the writers witnessed. That scene happens to probably like four out of five black men in America. I think that that's, I think that's one of the most important scenes in that whole series, man. I've watched that like and it's five freaking times. Freaking hilarious. Yeah. It's yeah. a great <laughs> episode. Yeah. As a Canadian, do you relate to the show? Oh yeah. I definitely relate to that show. Like, yeah, I mean, as as, as a black person living in North America, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, definitely relate. That that shows I mean that's epic. Again, that and insecure man. I've never seen anything like it. When I when those shows came out, blew my mind. I just never seen again, quote unquote black cinema like that before ever. I was like, wow, this is a new stage for us. Now any black person can write something and not feel like they have to pander 
Because that's, that's the thing. Like, we felt like you had to pander to a certain kind of an audience, right? Like, you know, I told you guys that story about people telling me that I need to be born black on camera. This is the thing that's always in your head, right? I mean, I, I know a lot of Arab actors who only get casted as terrorists, right? It's something that you are constantly thinking about. But now it seems like, I mean, it's finally slowly changing, right? People are accepting people for just being people. Right. We had Jonathan Joss on a little while ago, and he's a Native American actor, the whole thing that we talked about in the beginning was how he hardly ever gets to wear pants because he's always doing something in like a loincloth, right? And and likewise, wouldn't it be awesome to have a show full of First Nations actors who got to be different versions of themselves and not just the token? So I think it's it's awesome. Like Issa Rae has done an amazing job. God, she's so young and she's accomplished so much. I know we'll see more from her, but I hope we'll see more from, from, you know, and Lena Waithe and people who really have an interesting voice that's like, not just interesting, but like something different and they have something to say in such a beautiful way. So the whole reason that I, again, kind of was interested in this is trying to scientifically figure out how to isolate the variables in terms of if I'm watching something and I'm not connecting with it, why is that? And so the first, you know, I watched the first episode of Insecure last year, the year before, and I wasn't really feeling it, but I felt like that was probably more because it was like young single women thinking about love and like that that's the thing that I was not relating to, not necessarily, but you know, you don't know until you kind of immerse yourself more in it and get the idea. I think I mentioned Empire to you, Rodney, and you're like, that that show is too black for me. (laughs) Uh, I just watched the first episode of that and like, it's just kind of a cheesy, you know, it's kind of like that show Nashville where weird, somewhat unrealistic, very melodramatic picture of some corner of the music industry. Like there are lots of reasons. I, again, I, I should watch more Empire before I make a judgment on it, but it seems there are lots of reasons to not like that show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it's a soap opera, Mark. I mean, you don't watch other soap operas too, probably. So why should you be surprised that you don't enjoy that and one? And Tyler Perry, I didn't realize how religious his movies are and how he is. And like, that's his stated mission is that to use comedy to bring people into Christianity. So what you were describing Rodney is like black shows being lower budget. Like that reminds me so much more of just this parallel Christian media thing that existed for a long time. Like would make for years would make fun of Christian rock. It like at some point in the two thousands, their budget went up. But before that, it was like, there was a, in fact, a Christian rock video station. I remember that broadcast on our cable system. And it was just like bad versions of alternative stuff. This is during the nineties. Like, and so that's what I feel like whenever you have a interest group that for whatever reason has to set itself up as a parallel niche of creators and audiences, then yeah, they're not getting the mainstream dollars. It's probably going to be lower quality, certainly much cheaper looking, cheaper sounding. We have reached the portion of our podcast where Mark starts monologuing. When he realizes he hasn't said everything he meant to during the podcast. (laughs) Mark, regarding what you just said, in this IndieWire article, why white people don't like black movies, it mentions because African-Americans have not held simultaneous control over the four essential aspects of filmmaking, finance, production, distribution, and exhibition. Since the advent of the talking motion picture, we have been at the mercy, so to speak, of those whites who have and do hold control of it, not all four aspects, then at least one. 
You have to have more than a good story. You have to have some sort of power and you have to have that finance. And like, that's one thing that Tyler Perry does have. So he can make all this. If he has the Christian demographic, as we've seen with uh, the Republican Party since George W. Bush, you can have a lot of money. So maybe his, you know, his demographic isn't necessarily like you're saying a black demographic. It's a Christian demographic. And, and there is something like I growing up in a very Christian area. Do people seek out entertainment that's clean? For their kids and their youth groups, absolutely. So I'm sure he probably reaches a wide audience that way. Yeah, also black folks. And I mean, this is kind of, uh, you know, at the very least in North America, Caribbean as well, like black people are very religious and very conservative. So, I mean, that's kind of playing into the whole black culture. I mean, it's just huge. Pretty much anywhere you go in either my country or your country, I mean, yeah, the black Christian thing is goes hand in hand with the uh, with culture, you know. So he knows right. he knows what he's doing. Anyways, please continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that that was really it. It's just like you have to have hands in at least one of the four, right? And so it's a matter of not just representation on the screen, but behind it and the money that controls it and that power and influence. All right. Well, thanks, Rodney, for joining us. Thanks, folks, for listening. Thank you, Rodney. Yeah, thanks, Rodney. Thanks for having me, guys. That was a lot of fun. Great. I'm so glad. Uh, we hope to see more of your work, and yeah, keep us updated on what you're doing. Will do, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.